Hello everyone, my name is Sherry Rice and I'm CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today, we are talking about Medicare for All, and my guest is Dr. John Packham, Associate Dean, Office of Statewide Initiatives, University of Nevada, Reno, School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Packham. Good to be here. It's good to have you back. You you have been on our podcast a few times and uh, on a myriad of topics, and I really appreciate your expertise on each one. And certainly, Medicare for All is something that we're hearing about daily now, especially with the election. But if we can go back a little bit and talk about how it started, I know President Johnson started it, and why he started it, and why didn't President Johnson do Medicare for All all those years ago, do you think? Well, I think that's like uh, uh, most policy development in this country, and uh, even even though that was a pretty uh, sweeping change in the way healthcare, in particular hospital care, was financed, uh, I think that it was uh, recognized that uh, uh, kind of a compromise to get people on board and comfortable with the idea of a publicly f- uh, financed uh, system that we would start with uh, the elderly, which in 1965, that wasn't a, a big segment of the population, uh, but there was growing recognition that uh, one hospital stay or one uh, a serious medical condition by uh, uh, an elderly person in this country could put them in the poorhouse. And so I think it was uh, a population, uh, again, that was relatively small and uh, uh, that they could gain political support for it. I mean, it was a, it was a fight. Um, I think it's underappreciated now because it's such a popular program. Uh, but that, like most health reform battles, was uh, uh, quite quite the political fight. It was not a slam dunk by any means. Uh, I think it was also the case that uh, it was recognized uh, or thought, I think, by the, the architects of uh, Medicare and then uh, eventually Medicaid for uh, low-income Americans uh, that, we would, that, that it would uh, eventually extend to other populations, which, of course, has not been the case. In 1965, how were most people getting their health care? Was it through insurance from their employer? It, well, it wasn't... Uh, uh, necessarily empl- employment-based, and particularly for the elderly uh, and retirees, uh, uh, who, of course, uh, by definition, uh, uh, don't get employment-based insurance. Um, uh, so that uh, that was kind of the crux of the problem, uh, particularly if you, uh, you know, retired and uh, have limited means and limited savings. Uh, again, it was uh, you're one illness away from the poorhouse if you required hospital care. So here we are um, talking about Medicare for All. Back in 1965, uh, it was a fight. It was an uh, and again, probably for some of the same reasons that we're discussing it now: the mm-hmm. cost, uh, raising of taxes, mm-hmm. and whether the government needs to be responsible for somebody's health care. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, what you're seeing right now is uh, something that is uh, uh, partly a function or a product of uh, real need, and that is uh, the shortcomings of our existing system, the limitations of the Affordable Care Act. Um, uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, even though uh, 20 million plus Americans have gained coverage through the Affordable Care Act uh, in the state of Nevada, we've seen our uninsured rate cut in half in a very short period of time. Uh, it's still the case that there's 30 million uh, Americans that are 
um, uh, shut out of the market uh, and shut out of health insurance coverage. Uh, in Nevada, that translates to about 300,000 people who still lack uh, in- insurance. Uh, but importantly, for those of us uh, fortunate to have health insurance, uh, we're seeing uh, uh, rising uh, cost-sharing requirements, uh, deductibles, co-pays, and so forth, so that, uh, again, um, uh, even if you're uh, insured in this uh, state and country, um, uh, millions of folks uh, face barriers in accessing care when they need it because of those cost-sharing requirements. So um, I think the Affordable Care Act was successful in, in kind of taming some of that uh, cost growth, but uh, still by any measure we spend more in this country um, uh, uh, you know, for every man, woman, and child in this country, uh, a little over eleven thousand uh, dollars per person, and and uh, so again, a, a lot of those problems that kind of bedeviled us before the Affordable Care Act are still with us, uh, and I think you're, you're you're seeing that again, what I would call just objective need for. Uh, uh, additional reform. Uh, I also think it's a political winner for Democrats. I mean, to, yeah. to be honest, uh, they, um, um, the, the gains they made in the midterms uh, elections um, uh, last year uh, were in, in large part because of their stances on health care. It was a winner in 2018 anyway. Well, let's, uh, let's pick that apart a little bit. Let's talk about the ACA and what's working and maybe what isn't working. Mm -hmm. As you know, Access to Healthcare Network has been very involved with the ACA Mm -hmm. and that we take care of the people that don't go on to the ACA, but we also have sold products for the Affordable Care Act. And we find there's a certain population at a certain poverty level that does not get sub enough subsidies, and they can't afford the cost share mm-hmm. of it, the co-pays and the deductibles. Um, and to, to on first blush, that looks like that's one of the issues with the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the Affordable Care Act, again, um, we made progress in uh, driving down the, the uh, uninsured rate, but in many respects it left uh, a lot of the dysfunctional aspects of our health care system uh, in place. In fact, it, it you know, cemented uh, uh, a prominent role for uh, commercial insurance companies uh, into the way health care is financed and delivered in this country. Uh, uh, ask anybody who... Um, uh, is is uh, involved with uh, Medicare Advantage plans or Medicaid managed care. Uh, the ins- insurance companies uh, have um, uh, benefited mightily uh, from the Affordable Care Act. And uh, again, with that comes um, uh, the problems uh, or some of the problems uh, uh, that are associated with commercial insurance. Uh, I think there's been uh, some important reforms such as, um, uh, you know, uh, exclusions for pre-existing conditions and guarantee issue that were were solved, but again, we um, um, we we left our system still in the hands of um, uh, the private commercial insurance industry. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the terms um, from Medicare for all to public option to single payer. Um, we hear those terms all the time, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure that we're all aware of exactly what they mean. Uh, single payer. Let's talk about that. Well, let me take a step back and just say that um, over the last uh, six or seven months, there's been at least by my count 10 bills introduced in Congress that uh, touch on uh, pretty substantial changes to uh, Medicare. Uh, the most prominent ones uh, are a couple of bills, one on the, the House side and uh, the, the more prominent one on the Senate side from uh, Senator Sanders, uh, uh, which I would call Medicare for all, uh, true in, in name and spirit. 
the remainder I would call Medicare for some or Medicare for more. Uh, they don't really extend uh, uh, the current Medicare um, uh, uh, set of benefits and coverage and universality to the entire population, but they do uh, address some of those shortcomings of the Affordable Care Act. And uh, so that when I talk about Medicare for all, uh, uh, characteristics of uh, that approach are cradle-to-grave coverage for every resident um, uh, in the United States um, uh, under a single Medicare program. Uh, it would replace or displace uh, other sources of coverage, uh, not just private insurance, but also Medicaid and CHIP uh, and other forms of public coverage. Uh, there would be what is called uh, first-dollar coverage, that is to say no co-pays, deductibles, cost-sharing requirements, um, uh, and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of other elements, but uh, what separates the Medicare for All approaches from those other Medicare reforms uh, are, are that, uh, again, it's uh, attempt or embracement of universality uh, in, in coverage. Well, and the thought then is... Um is health care the responsibility of the government, the federal government? Is yeah. that one of the things that people argue about? Should it be free? Should it be open? That is, uh, the Constitution doesn't guarantee a right to health care. It doesn't guarantee a right to education, for that matter, or protection for um, uh, fires and public safety and police services. Uh, it... it, it um, uh, speaks to uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and uh, uh, and uh, uh, so forth. But uh, I think my stance on that is uh, why not healthcare? Okay, uh, and, and that is uh, for me to pursue life, liberty, and uh, happiness is contingent on my health and well-being. Uh, but equally important, the health and well-being of my neighbors and coworkers and so forth. So my ethical stance is there's there's no uh, uh, constitutional or federal prohibition on that. Uh, it's what I would consider to be part of a good society. And uh, with respect, uh, you know, one of the, the, the criticisms of Medicare for All is it's a government takeover of health care. And I, to that, I just say nonsense. It's, uh, as I see it uh, and read it in uh, proposed legislation, it is a, a single public entity that will be responsible for taking in taxes and uh, financing and paying uh, the health care bills. That's the change. It would leave largely intact, as is the case with Canada, uh, private, uh, in many respects, nonprofit and for-profit entities providing that care, but we would have a single uh, public entity charged with administering and, and paying the checks. And would you foresee that there'd be an ability to what someone might call buy up what do you mean? Well, if you read some articles, of course, this would be on the side of people against the Medicare for All, mm -hmm. that, uh, that, for instance, getting a HIP is slow. It takes you six months to get on the waiting list mm -hmm. in other countries that have managed to make this work, and that you can literally buy up, like what we would do with a Medicare Advantage program, yeah. uh, buy up so that you get your HIP sooner or you have a better choice in your physician or because I know there's quite a few people that think that Medicare for all would limit their ability to get their health care or not get it as quickly. Well, I think, um, uh, and I'm, I would consider myself one of those uh, individuals that um, while a Medicare for all program uh, uh, would give private insurance a secondary role, that would possibly be one of those roles. And that is you could purchase supplemental uh, coverage um, I don't. 
the, the issue of cosmetic surgery came up. There's, there's no real policies out there for cosmetic surgery. Uh, you do that if you have uh, uh, cash in your wallet and the means to do that, uh, period. Um, uh, but I think things like dental, vision, uh, other services uh, that you see covered in some national programs and not covered in national programs, that's what uh, the discussion would be. I mean, I, we will have a uh, – were, were Medicare for all t- uh, to happen, we would have a, an ongoing discussion about what would be covered and not, and that is what would be part of the benefits uh, package. Uh, it's important to note that that some countries don't cover prescription drug benefits. You purchase coverage through a supplemental policy or a private insurance policy. Uh, uh, what would be different under a Medicare for All is that discussion of benefits would be an open, transparent, public process, uh, unlike uh, is the case now. So why do you think we're talking about Medicare for All and not Medicaid for All? Because of the poverty level on Medicaid, and so Medicare is for anyone at any poverty level, and we've chosen to expand that one, not Medicaid. I know that Medicare reimburses at a little bit higher rate than Medicaid. Yeah. I, th- I think part of it is, uh, again, that uh, the, the Medicare program is the same from state to state uh, as opposed to Medicaid, which is 50-plus um, uh, um, uh, programs uh, in 50 different states, and they, they all look different uh, in what they cover and uh, how they're structured and so forth. Um uh, but uh, uh, Medicare provides a platform to extend it uh, to the rest of the population and younger age groups. So one of the things I hear quite often is how so many other countries have made this work, and here we are, this uh, great industrialized nation, and we can't figure out health care for all. Why do you think we have such a harder time of it than, say, a Sweden or some of the other countries? Uh, there's a there's a variety of factors. Um, uh, Sweden, for example, I lived for a year in Sweden, um, uh, and they have uh, um, a universal uh, health insurance uh, scheme in which the government again plays a very prominent role uh, in that. But uh, I I think that part of it is we were late to the game. I think part of it is uh, unlike Sweden, we have a very uh, heterogeneous population. Uh, we have much more severe uh, income and wealth inequalities. Uh, there's a number of factors that uh, have conspired uh, to make that a, um, a much more difficult political battle. But whether you're talking about Canada, Great Britain, Sweden, Germany, other countries that uh, uh, cover uh, uh, their entire populations for a fraction of the cost, um, uh, those were all severe political battles in each of those. I think that's kind of lost. Uh, uh, But in each one of those countries, um, uh, they're left scratching their head why we we choose to to finance and structure our system the way they do and want no part of it. Why do you think health care is so expensive in the United States? Is it because we want what we want when we want it? Well, I used to work with a uh, an economist um, uh, back in Baltimore, and he said it's the price is stupid. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I say that nicely, to you sure? Yes, yes. Um, uh, and and that um, whatever, uh, uh, whether we're looking at pharmaceutical prod, uh, products or a physician visit or a hospital stay, our prices are just uh, higher. They've historically been that way, and. Uh, you know, with each succeeding year, th- those are those uh, in- increase so that uh, uh, in many cases in the United States, we actually consume fewer uh, um, uh, uh, pharmaceutical products and services and so forth, but we end up spending a great deal more. Um, uh, Japan uses 
uh, much more prescription drugs than we do, uh, but our spending is is greater than uh, Japan. Uh, other countries uh, have uh, higher numbers of uh, office visits per per capita, but spend less on physician services. So um, uh, prices are uh, kind of at the heart of it. And uh, but I think that that's uh, you know one thing that uh, Medicare for all uh, could begin to address. Uh, um, I think there's a lot of concern that oh dear, hospitals and physicians would be uh, uh, paid at existing Medicare rates. I don't really see that happening. Uh, I, I, I know a lot of people would disagree with me on that, but uh, Canada, for example, um, uh, those are negotiated between the medical societies and the federal government every year and the provinces. Uh, hospital budgets are global budgets that uh, are set and negotiated, again, between private uh, providers and the government. Uh, so the idea that um, uh, 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 reimbursement would be set at existing Medicare rates, um, I don't really see that being the case. I well, also see it at the case that, uh, and, and here the, the glass is half full, uh, if hospitals uh, are not spending in the neighborhood of 25% of their resources on administration and billing and paperwork. Uh, that frees up resources to pay clinicians and to pay for actually more health care. Uh, well, I've had hospital execs tell me that one of the reasons for the cost is because it's a very competitive market and you need the latest equipment. Da Vinci. I mean, you need you need to spend money on the latest equipment to get the people to come because they hospital shop or they want they want the latest in everything and the best in everything, yeah. and so the hospitals literally compete for people in beds. Yeah, but see again, I I, I mean that that's where the public sector could play a fundamentally different role in planning, setting those uh, global hospital budgets and so forth, in that um, uh, I think that that would be up to negotiation. Uh, there, was a, there was a point in time, and this has been a, a, a several years ago, um, where there was um, uh, more uh, CAT scan, uh, I'm dating myself, but CAT scan machines in Clark County than there were in the entire country of Canada. And that's because of that competition right, to have the right. latest um, uh, gizmo uh, in your hospital. Uh, and so um, uh, that's a role governments could play, and that is how many, uh, how much medical imaging gizmos do we need in Reno and Washoe County in the state of Nevada? Uh, uh, and uh, again, a single payer provides a different platform for that discussion and how those decisions are made. Well, one of the possible myths is people believing that then the government will say whether you're allowed to have treatment, whether the government would be, say, the gatekeeper on uh, whether you're allowed to move forward on treatment or even say, I'm sorry, but you uh, are at stage four of cancer and you're not going to get any more treatment. And Well, newsflash, your private commercial insurance already does that. Um, uh, one of the one of the, uh, I, I think, overblown criticisms of uh, actually uh, ill-informed uh, criticisms of other national systems uh, is that they ration care. Uh, well, they set guidelines on uh, uh, what, again, is a covered benefit or not. Uh, they set um, uh, guidelines or uh, attempt to um, do more concerted planning on how many uh, health professionals are trained, um, uh, what hospital budgets looks like, and so forth. 
Um, but we do that differently in the United States, but we still ration. We ration care based on income and uh, who your employer is and so forth, and those put enormous constraints. Um, uh, I, I work for the university, have a uh, uh, what I consider to be a, a good health insurance product, but I'm one or two paychecks away uh, were I to lose my job uh, from those benefits. Uh, and so my ability <laughs> to get uh, my hip replaced or a procedure that uh, may not be uh, emergency care uh, or considered elective uh, is is affected by, you know, income and circumstances uh, that effectively rations care uh, just does it in a different way. Well, we also, I think, it's interesting. We have a sense in our head as to how much each end we should be paying for health care. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, if if I have a procedure done and my my copay is five hundred dollars, is that in my mind, something that's reasonable. Is my deductible of $10,000 something that's reasonable? I think there's also needs to be a change in the mindset of the public as mm-hmm. to the fact that uh, health care can't be totally free. Yeah. Well, again, I'd go back to what I, I, I said earlier. Nothing's free. Um, uh, one of the things that proponents of uh, Medicare for all uh, um, uh, programs uh, and and policy uh, kind of a little reticent to discuss is how this would be paid for and this will only happen if uh, uh, it's it's financed on the basis of progressive uh, taxes and that is uh, the wealthy would pay more and lower income people would pay less that's the only way <laughs> that's the only way this uh, uh, type of uh, financing scheme would uh, get off the ground uh, but and that's the key component. That's the key component. People don't want to uh, pay more in taxes. I, well, I, but again, um, uh, I would argue we already pay for this dysfunctional system. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we pay for uh, uh, hospitals like Renown and St. Mary's providing uncompensated care. Uh, we pay for uh, all sorts of waste in, in health care, uh, uh, more diagnostic testing uh, than we need. Um, uh, people... Uh, uh, getting cancer care uh, when it's too late and very expensive and so forth uh, because they couldn't afford, you, you know, even primary care or specialty consults when uh, that might have made a difference. Uh, so we, we pay in a lot of different ways. Uh, I would also add that uh, there was a study that came out uh, earlier this year that uh, 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 was shocked um, uh, to find that uh, we would spend over $30 trillion over a decade on health care uh, were uh, Medicare for all uh, to be uh, uh, implemented or, or put into uh, place. Uh, we're going to spend that much anyway, <laughs> uh, but uh, nobody would be left out uh, under, uh, you know, uh, a Medicare for all type would, of program. Would you see a Medicare and I think you're a little more up on Bernie Sanders uh, and what he's proposing. He's proposing that the insurance companies go away, yeah. if if I've read it right, yeah. that there not be any insurance companies and that literally it's uh, a federally funded program from our taxes that would be Medicare for all. Yeah, I, th- I think he has the luxury of, a, of a, a safe seat in the Senate, and so he can talk about uh, the end of the commercial insurance uh, industry. I would just uh, phrase it a little differently. They would play a secondary role. Um, uh, the Elizabeth Warren 
recently said that the business model of uh, private insurance is to take dollars in and pay as few out as possible. That's what would end with a Medicare for all. Uh, that wouldn't be the operating principle of a publicly financed program. It would be uh, uh, A, to include everyone. That is, no one would be left out. Uh, but it would be incented to keep people healthy. It would be incented to keep costs down. It would uh, be incented to provide quality care so it would enjoy political support, uh, et cetera. Uh, that's, that's what would change with a Medicare for All. And I've read in the last few days that Vice President Biden has come out with what he would like to see is that the affordable, we expand on the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like first it was... Uh, sort of Medicare for all, but now it's gone to to fixing the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. I haven't read enough to see where he thinks he would fix it and what he would do. Well, I, th I think that that's where the Democratic Party is. Um, uh, th there's a lot of shades of gray in there between uh, a Medicare for all and then uh, uh, more incremental strategies uh, that have been suggested by uh, uh, Biden. But uh, what I think they all uh, share in common is an expansion of coverage and moving us closer to uh, uh, everyone being included, uh, that is to say insured, and no one being left out. Um, uh, the Trump administration, by contrast, is completely silent on the issue of universality. It's not even on their radar screen. Uh, uh, and so uh, to the extent uh, anything proposed by President Trump is called reform, uh, it's really... Uh, more uh, about controlling federal spending and budgets. Uh, there's no discussion of universality. Uh, we've actually seen uh, the number and percent of uninsured Americans increase under the Trump administration. Uh, and it's partly because um, uh, that's not the goal of that administration. Uh, they're, they're almost not even uh, 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 saying that that isn't the case. So... Right. Well, they're they're systematically pulling apart the ACA. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, the mandate uh, going away changed a lot of people on the ACA because mm -hmm. they they weren't going to be penalized. Yeah, I think it's always important to point out uh, the the Kaiser Family Foundation does a monthly tracking yes, poll. Yes, they do. And uh, what's really interesting about it um, uh, is uh, that there are a number of extremely popular provisions of the Affordable Care Act, um, uh, provisions that uh, enjoy wide support with um, uh, Republican voters and uh, his, um, um, his base. We're always talking about Trump's base. Um, they stand to lose a great deal uh, were the Affordable Care Act uh, uh, to end or be repealed or wiped out with a, a, a judicial decision, uh, none of which I think are going to happen uh, again because I think even Republican members of Congress uh, know that uh, you start unraveling the Affordable Care Act, uh, it's going to hurt um, uh, most states and most districts um, uh, were that to happen. Yeah, quite a few people, I think. If I remember correctly, at the debate, the Democratic debate, the candidates, that almost everyone raised their hand when they felt that the uh, immigrants and the undocumented 
should be on Medicare for all. Yeah, and then half of them qualified their uh, hand raising after <laughs> after that. Uh, that's a silly uh, little um, uh, debate uh, uh, gimmick. But uh, be that what it may, uh, you won't see that uh, on the Republican no. side. You might not even see the question uh, raised. Uh, but I think it had an element of, of got you uh, for to get people to to raise their hand. But again. Uh, if you think about uh, what is being proposed in Congress, what is uh, being debated by Democrats, uh, a, a better way to think about uh, Medicare for all and these other Medicaid uh, for some or Medicaid for more uh, proposals is um, um, that uh, they're, they're trying to uh, uh, at least discuss and frame the issue of how do we uh, include more and how, how, do, how do we go from a system in which uh, tens of millions of people are left out uh, to bringing them in, and how do we how do we go about doing that? Uh, some are sweeping proposals, some are uh, very incremental uh, proposals. Well, it, of course, depending on the next election, which most everything does depend on that. Mm-hmm. If uh, if we if President Trump wins and we stay with President Trump. Uh, we won't be seeing anything that will move towards Medicare for all. Oh, no. I don't no, think. No. And uh, again, I think Medicare for all is um, – that, that's not the end game, okay? The end game uh, should be um, how do we uh, achieve better care, uh, lower costs, uh, uh, maintain and ideally improve quality – but um, um, uh, cover everyone, and the Democrats are the only ones discussing that right now. So where do you see this going? Obviously, it's going to be a topic in the next election, and as we get ourselves pared down to a candidate in Mm -hmm. the Democratic Party, I'm sure this is going to be one of the hotter topics that we discuss. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll be at the the top of the list. Yeah, Barring... Uh, uh, barring, uh, you know, an economic downturn or a recession between now and then, uh, which I don't think too many people are um, uh, thinking will happen, healthcare will be right at the top of the list. Um, uh, Democrats will uh, give that a priority position uh, in um, uh, the way they campaign and the way they uh, uh, compare themselves uh, with the Trump administration. Uh, Trump, I suspect, will speak less on health care. Uh, he has nothing to run on and uh, has proposed nothing uh, that uh, addresses uh, concerns that are uh, being uh, uh, talked about on the Democratic side. He'll focus on immigration and uh, relatively strong economy, um, lower un- unemployment rates, and so forth. Well, and of course, we're getting a little bit into politics here, but how can you help it? The That's what makes it fun. It does. Yeah. It is what makes it fun. The independents. I mean, how will the Democrats, if they go too far to the left, which some would say would be Bernie's Medicare for all, mm-hmm. where others would say, well, uh, public option, whatever that means, or take Vi- Vice President Biden, who says, well, let's just shore up the ACA. Uh, what do you think will capture those independents? Maybe those people that voted last time for President Trump and are looking for an alternative. Well, I think I think it will uh, uh, probably be that those concerns or issues will be addressed by uh, you know, Democrats appealing to uh, what has been accomplished with the Affordable Care Act and safeguarding uh, uh, those. I, I, we actually saw that uh, in the state of Nevada uh, in this last legislative session. Some. Uh, uh, successful efforts of Democrats to, uh, to say, um, regardless of what happens in D.C., uh, we're going to protect 
uh, some of those uh, private insurance reforms. We're going to protect uh, dollars and access to family planning services. Uh, we're going to continue to try to address even in incremental steps um, uh, the need for more health care workers, et cetera. And I think at the national level, you'll see something similar. I think you'll see candidates, uh, unless um, uh, Sanders or Warren uh, are, are nominated, uh, really embracing incremental uh, steps, um, expanding Medicare to uh, the, the 50, 50 to 65-year-olds, yeah. uh, public uh, yeah. option buy-ins and yeah. so forth, uh, more than you'll see uh, sweeping proposals. Well, and what I would love to see is uh, Medicare become a little more simplified. You know, Access to Healthcare Network operates the state health insurance program, which is called SHIP, and we are the counselors for Medicare throughout all of northern Nevada. Mm -hmm. uh, we do thousands of phone calls and in-person uh, conferences with people who have questions, and Medicare is so complicated right now that we literally have to have a program that explains it to people. Well, partly it's complicated uh, as a result of the kind of uh, increase in the number of people enrolled in Medicare Advantage. Uh, that right. would end under uh, Medicare for All. I think the other Medicare proposals, uh, the buy-ins and Medicare for More, uh, are kind of silent on how Medicare Advantage would be affected by that. But uh, again, those complications are a result of uh, a more prominent role for commercial carriers in the, the Medicare market. It's true. I mean, I have my counselors go through uh, probably 160 hours of training just to be able to counsel somebody on Medicare. It's that complicated between all the Medicare advantages. And at open enrollment every year, it's uh, I don't know what people would do without uh, my counselors mm -hmm. or the 1-800 number that the federal uh, government has for Medicare because of its complexity. And uh, I went on Medicare, well, I should have gone on Medicare about five years ago at 65, but I just recently went on it. And thank goodness I had staff to help me to tell you the truth because it is extraordinarily complicated. And when we talk about Medicare for all or doing something more going down to age 50, um, Myself and my director of that program talk about how many more staff we would need just to be able to explain to people uh, Medicare. If we kept it the way it is now, we mm -hmm. would have to do so much more explaining. Mm -hmm. And Medicare fraud, because we also do the senior Medicare fraud program. Uh, we go out and present to seniors what fraud looks like. And so much of it's on durable medical. Yeah. And uh, to be able to question it and question your invoice and things like that. So Medicare isn't perfect. We all know that. It isn't. Uh, it can be very complicated. But I also know that uh, for people 65 and over or people who are disabled, um, it is a lifesaver for them mm -hmm. to have that. Yeah, it's one of the most effective anti-poverty uh, programs we still have, uh, aside from Social Security. Well, what would you like to see happen with this Medicare for All uh, before the election uh, Let's say in the next five years, what do you think? What I like about the discussion now uh, is uh, that we're keeping uh, health care access and how we finance improved access to care on the front burner. Yes. Uh, I am, uh, uh, if, if I was a betting person, I would say uh, uh, Medicare for all is certainly not going to happen uh, until the 2020 election. Uh, and uh, I, I wouldn't 
bet the farm on it happening uh, over the next uh, uh, four or five or six years uh, at all. But as long as that discussion uh, stays on, on the table, uh, the discussion and the discussion being, uh, 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 do we want a system in which millions of people are left out or do we want to find uh, a way to uh, uh, include uh, everyone, be our brother's keeper uh, and not break the bank? Uh, that's going to be a good discussion and a healthy discussion. Well, also talking about those millions of people that are left out, they get their health care in a dysfunctional manner, which is usually emergency rooms, which we know is the most expensive health care on the planet. And we all pay for that. And we all pay for it. So if we had a system that put somebody into a functional health care system where they could get healthy and not just do crisis management of their health care, mm -hmm. uh, that then possibly could even itself out with Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll know until we try. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Packham. We've been talking about Medicare for All. Uh, I appreciate your uh, thoughts on this. We will have another podcast down the road of someone from an insurance company who's going to tell us why Medicare for All is not in our best interest. So we'll be presenting both sides, which I think is always interesting. Um, thank you for listening to our podcast. For a list of our future podcasts, go to access to healthcare slash podcast. And once again, I want to thank Dr. John Packham, Associate Dean, Office of Statewide Initiatives, University of Nevada, Reno School of Medicine. Thank you, as always, for being a guest on our show. It's good to be here.